What's up, everyone? Uh, today we are here with Eric Hernandez. In case you do not know who he is, he's the apologetics leader for the Texans for the Texas Baptists. Uh, we're talking about philosophy of mind, evidence for the soul, all kinds of things. It's gonna be a really fun conversation. Eric, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man. I'm happy that you joined me. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So I think just to start off, just for for someone who doesn't know who Eric Hernandez is, just t- just tell me a little bit about who you are, your ministry, what you do, things like that. Uh, I am, uh, like I said, the apologetics lead for the Baptist Journal Convention of Texas, uh, which encompasses putting together um, one of my main jobs <clears throat> is uh, we do about three uh, major uh, what we call the unapologetic evangelism conferences every year. Uh, within Texas Baptist, I'm on the Great Commission team. And then there are like sub teams within that. So I'm in the evangelism team, which is part of the Great Commission team. Um, and that, aside from doing the conferences, putting the conferences together, where we get speakers from all over, uh, we've had uh, Willem and Craig, Michael and Kona. Um, we've had, uh, even in the past before I was there, David Wood, um, Frank Turk, Greg Coco, stuff like that. Um, Jerry Warner Wallace, not too long ago. And then aside from that, uh, going on churches uh, uh, to do trainings or teachings on apologetics, uh, e- either with the leadership or with some of the youth or just you know, really any and everyone. I've done anything from a Sunday morning service to a, a weekend kind of seminar, gone on college campuses, done debates, interviews like this as well. So anything revolving around apologetics uh, and evangelism is basically what I now get to live the dream and do uh, for a living. So it's great. Mm. It's a pretty fun way to make a living. So so what got you interested in all this like apologetic stuff? <clears throat> Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I've naturally just been uh, one to ask questions and growing up in, in a youth group, I would get in trouble for asking questions. And, and I hear a little bit of, of an echo. I'm not sure if that's on my end or your end um, there. Sorry about that. Um, those little things get anyways. Um, so uh, uh, growing up, growing up, like I said, I, I'd always been one to ask questions and um in my youth group, I'd get in trouble a few times for asking questions. Uh, so I've always been wondering choir. Um, freshman year of college, long story short, those who've heard me before know, know my story or testimony in this, in this way. Um, took my freshman year, took my first philosophy class, took it as a blow-off class just to kind of, you know, fill up an elective. Um, and basically, I, I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot. I found out later that my professor was an atheist, but he was very even-handed, and, and I really enjoyed it because I was allowed to ask questions, unlike in some church settings. Um, and, and there, were, it was very open. Um, I just really enjoyed the atmosphere. Second semester rolls around. I wanted to take another class in philosophy, but everybody warned me to not take Professor Pena's class and said that if I took his class, I'd lose my faith. He was antagonistic, condescending towards Christians. He's going to try to make you feel stupid. going to try to make you lose your faith by the end of the class. Um, long story short, to me, that was that that was, uh, you know, like a sign me up kind of a thing, because I knew in the back of my mind that if Christianity was true, I needed to know why. But I also realized that if it was false, I'd still like to know why. And perhaps this was a guy for the job. <clears throat> so um, the, the pivotal moment for me in his class was when, you know, we're sitting down, he walks in and he starts by saying something like religion wants us to believe in in something like a soul. And according to a religion like Christianity, your soul is an immaterial thing that is where your moods and emotions and your feelings lie. And then he, he pretends to pull out like an antidepressant pill from his pocket. And he says, however, if I took this antidepressant pill, which is physical, then how is it that this tiny physical pill can affect my soul, which is allegedly immaterial? 
Because according to Christianity, this is a thing that gives us hope in, in having an afterlife and seeing our family and friends that have passed away <clears throat> and, and you know, gives us hope in resurrection and whatnot. But if the soul existence is not physical and that's where my emotions are, then how can this antidepressant pill affect the uh, emotions and, and behaviors of my soul? Because if I took this pill, it would change those things. Because he said, every time you look at the brain, how do we explain this? Because when you look at the brain, you just see neurons firing. But when you look at um, the, the the body, you, still, you just see that these, these base uh, chemical elements, but you never find anything like a soul. And how do we explain that? And he said, well, it's really simple, and I'll tell you how. It's because there is no soul. There is no heaven. There is no hell. There is no God. There is no afterlife. We're just a physical brain and body. We need to learn to live with this fact and, and get on with our lives and stop believing in these foolish fairy tales. Uh, now, at that point, <clears throat> I'd say that was the first time in my life that I had heard uh, an alleged objection that, if true, would mean that Christianity was false. Um, because when you look, look at what Paul said, he said that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then our, our, our hope's in vain. We should be pitied amongst all men. However, the same would apply that if there's no soul, I would argue there can be no resurrection. And once again, Christianity would be false. So, mm -hmm. while I had heard many times complaints in my life. Uh, against Christianity or scripture, or what have you, this was the first time I heard, again, an alleged objection that if true would mean Christianity was false. So that really got me to, I had, I had a choice to either roll up my sleeves and dig into the metaphysics or just kind of brush it under the, under the rug. And I've never been one to do that. So uh, that, that's what kind of got me on my journey of looking into things and to searching and to asking more questions, asking the right questions, or even finding out what questions to ask. Sometimes when I study, I'm, I don't necessarily study because I'm getting the answers per se, but because I'm learning which are the right questions to be asking regarding certain topics and subjects. And and, and here we are. Um, I forget when that was 2000, uh, probably like six, maybe six or seven, somewhere around there. And however many years later that was, here we are now. Mm. Good stuff, man. So I think I think to start off, it might be helpful just kind of like to define our terms in a sense. So the soul like if if someone's like hey eric what what's the soul just like yeah what what's the soul yeah um and, and i think if if you don't mind could you try it might be coming for you and could you push mute let me see if that if that helps with the echo okay yeah okay that that helps so much all right sorry um with with adhd i can hear everything i'm saying and it's throwing me off because i'm trying to hear myself while i'm talking and it's it's i messed up in the head so you have to uh, bear with me there okay um yeah so the soul um, depending on if, if I knew something about the person it depend on how I would uh, answer. Um, but if it was just, you know, some random person on the street, I say, well, um, the soul basically is you, the self. When I use the word I, that's what we call an indexical word. So if I say here or there, those are indexical words that refer to something. So the word I is referring to something. And when I use the word I, I'm talking about me, the self, the conscious subject. And I would say that is that I am a soul that has a body. I, I don't, I don't have a soul. I, but quite literally I am a soul that has a body and a body without a soul is a corpse. And here's where I usually say, well, actually I've changed my position because I actually do have a soul. I do believe that now because it's, it's a Kia soul and it's orange and it's, it's parked in my garage. And, and I bought that car just so I can make that joke. Uh, and it's worth every penny every time I get at least a laugh or two, whenever I go uh, teach on this stuff. So, um, so basically the soul is you, the self. So when you use the word I, you're referring to you, the, the, the soul. Now, how, why would I say that? They might ask, or why, why think that? <clears throat> um, there's a number of reasons, and this gets into the arguments for the soul. And basically, um, I, I, I would put it this way. I'm either a, a, an immaterial substance because 
to get a more technical definition, um, again, depending on how much time I have with the person, but if we're sitting down, I would say that the definition that I would give for a soul is an immaterial substance that contains consciousness and animates the body. Um, now, I am either an immaterial substance or I am just my brain and body, a, a purely physical object, an aggregate. And, and, and I say, okay, well, let, let's find out which one of these two I am. So if I'm just a brain and body, then we get into some implications, uh, anything from free will to uh, a personhood to identity through change. So let's, let's go with identity, identity through change. <clears throat> um, if I'm mer merely a brain and body aggregate, now, what's an aggregate? That, that's a big word that means a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. So things like watches or Lego bricks or uh, cars are aggregates. They are a collection of separable parts held together in a certain structure. Now, the thing with aggregates um, is that their existence and identity necessarily depends on the existence and structure and identity of their parts. Here's a quick example. If I take a tricycle and I remove one of the wheel, then it is no longer a tricycle. So we can actually say that a tricycle ceased to exist and a bicycle came to be because by def definition, a tricycle is something with three wheels at the very least. If it doesn't have three wheels, then by default, it cannot be a tricycle. What this teaches us is that when it comes to aggregates, their existence and identity uh, does not remain the same throughout change and part replacement. So <clears throat> going back to, to the, the, the argument that I can give, I could say I'm either a purely physical object, uh, an aggregate, a brain and body aggregate, or I'm, I'm an immaterial substance, a.k.a. a soul. Well, if I'm just a brain and body aggregate, then that would mean I don't maintain identity through change. So as a thought experiment, suppose uh, it, it's alleged that every seven to ten years uh, we replace virtually every cell in our body. So suppose seven to ten years ago I committed a crime <clears throat> and they just now find the evidence for that. And, you know. They come to my door and let's say it's Jerry Warner Wallace. And he says, you know, Eric, we, we just found the evidence to convict you. Uh, you know, we're going to have to take you to jail. Now, what do you think he would say or anyone would say if I said, well, well, time out. Don't you know that we're just a purely physical brain and body aggregate and that we don't maintain identity through change? So if you're going to look for the person that committed that crime seven to ten years ago, go look for that person. But that's not me because I don't maintain identity through change. Go find him. But good luck because he doesn't exist. Of course, he might laugh at me, but he's still going to slap the handcuffs on me and take me to jail. And I say that it's because we know that we do maintain identity through change and part replacement. Um, if I'm the same person from one moment to the next, and there must be something more than me than merely a, a physical brain and body. Think of a <clears throat> think think of something like a a uh, baseball game. A baseball game is is uh, separated into 12, uh, excuse me, nine uh, um, innings. You have nine time slices, right? You have nine segments. The entire baseball game is not in the first inning, nor is the entire baseball game in the second inning, but rather the entire baseball game is all, all, all innings. So it's kind of spread out through time and is separated in different time slices. In, in a similar fashion, in principle, if I'm just a brain and body aggregate, then I am just a collection of several parts of either time or pieces or a little bit of both. And I don't maintain identity to change, which means I'm not the same person from one moment to the next. However, if I am the same person from one moment to the next, and if you're the same person uh, in the beginning of this uh, interview, and you're going to be the same person at the end of the interview, in other words, it's the same person interacting with me, then you must be something more than a brain and body. Why? Because if you're just a brain and body, you would not maintain identity to change. Well, I do maintain identity through change. Therefore, I am not a purely physical object. Therefore, I am a soul.
Okay, a lot of interesting stuff there. I'm also sorry about the whole mic thing. I didn't realize that was going on, but I'll make sure I stay on mute. Uh, one thing I'm curious on before we before we keep on going is what about the idea? Um, you probably you've heard this from skeptics or atheists a lot that, um, in a sense, that maybe that seven ten years thing could be is true. And I, I haven't looked into it, but it seems like it's true from what the little bit I've read on this topic. Um, but what about the idea that? our DNA really remains unchanged. Um, so really what's replicating is really the same type of person. So we're really the same person. It's just a replacement of what's new. Like it, like you put like, for example, a new bumper on a car, but it's still the same bumper as the old one. It's just, it's just a new version of that bumper. Yeah. So, so two things there. Um, let's go to the first thing about DNA. Well, uh, it, from what I understand, twins have identical DNA. So then would you say that they're two of the same person or are they two different people? Are they two unique, distinct people? Obviously they're two unique, distinct people. So I would say DNA is not, uh, wouldn't be the thing to go with when it comes to what is it that maintains that identity through change. Um, second, if I could in some way alter my DNA, uh, then, then again, would, then that would mean that given the view that your identity through change is grounded in your DNA, then you're going to have to say that I know that I cease to exist the moment I alter my DNA, even in the slightest. And, and the Eric before ceases to exist. And now there's some new person with the same look, uh, uh, same memories, but is a totally different person is not the same Eric. Um, now you mentioned the, the car bumper thing. Now what you said, I, I, I do sometimes get that. Well, no, if you know, if I change like, you know, this or that on a car, it's still the same car. I would say that that begs a question because the entire question <clears throat> actually revolves around whether or not that is the case. Do purely physical objects maintain identity through change. This was originally put forth um, with a thought experiment known as the ship of Theseus. And basically that, you know, if you take this ship that there was a warship um, owned by this guy named Theseus, what if you, what if you replace a plank? Is it the same ship? Okay. What if you replace half the planks? What, what if you replace 60% of the planks? What do you, what if at some point you replace every single plank? Is it still the original ship? Um, I, I, I kind of, <clears throat> modernize the illustration and, and give it a little bit, bit of a twist. And I say, get a car, replace the wheels. Is it the same car? Okay. Re replace the windshield, replace every single part of the car. At what point does it cease to be the same car and it becomes a new car? But before you answer that question, let, let's stick to, is it the original? Take all the replace parts, put those back together. Now you have two cars. Which one of these two cars is the original car? Now, regardless of your answer, I think the, the, the answer is clear that they both cannot be the original car which means regardless of what position you take, again, I, I think it's pretty self-evident that purely physical objects, aggregates, do not maintain identity through change of part replacement. So going back to the argument, if I'm a purely physical object, then I don't maintain identity through change. However, I do maintain identity through change. Therefore, I'm not a purely physical object. Therefore, I must be a soul. Hmm. Okay, a uh, couple thoughts here. I as we keep on going, one thing is I do have nieces who are identical twins. They're like a year old. Um, they're both very cute and they're very <laughs> different personality wise. So uh, kind of fun to think of that in real time. But uh, uh, one thing I'm curious about. So you talked a little bit about some of the reasons you believe we have a soul, kind of this idea that uh, our whole body is being replaced in the sense. we. So um, the idea of like, who are we? Um, there must be some sort of immaterial aspect. Uh, what what other evidence do you think there is, if there is any more, that, that we have a soul? Yeah. So, so I think that there's plenty when you look at, look at, uh, um, just, just the implications of the logic behind when we study metaphysics. Now it's important to first understand <clears throat> that when we say the word evidence, you know, that that's, that's a loaded term, especially these days, because you know, what does someone mean by evidence? Um, 
if if by evidence one simply means we have good reason reason to believe uh, that there that there exists so I say absolutely uh, one thing to keep in mind too <clears throat> is that the question of the existence of the soul or the question of what is consciousness is not a scientific question um, it, it's in fact science doesn't even ask the question and, and much less can science answer the question that, that's something that uh, Michael Ruse said about just science in general um, that there are some questions that can't even ask much less answer uh, when we're talking about the soul or consciousness, we're doing metaphysics, not physics. Um, any position that you come to on what is the person, the self, or what is consciousness, whatever position you come to, all positions are going to be what's called empirically equivalent. Now, what does that mean? That means there's there's not going to be any amount of scientific data that you can present to me or that I can present to somebody else who disagrees with me. There's not going to be any piece of data that we're going to both look at and disagree upon, which means we're going to I'm going to agree with all the scientific data that you're going to give me. You're going to agree with all the scientific data that I would give you because our differences are not a matter of science or physics. We don't disagree on the physics or the science. We disagree on the metaphysical implications or what these things point to. So um, when we talk about evidence, that's something to keep in mind. <clears throat> Moreover, when I, it might be helpful to say this, when I talk or, or teach or do arguments for the soul, there's always two basic points I touch on. Uh, first is that um, consciousness is not physical. And the second point is that I am more than a brain and body. And based on these two, I would conclude I am a soul. Now, why this approach? <clears throat> because first, I would say that when, when you show that consciousness is not physical, and, and how do I do that? Um Basically, uh, Leibniz's law of identity is a great rule of thumb for these kind of questions, and it's important. It's it's fundamental to understand any arguments of, of this of this sense. And namely, um, Leibniz said that if two things in question are identical, in philosophy this means literally the same thing as, then whatever is true of one is going to be true of the other. Um, but if, if there's something true of one that's not true of the other, then they can't be the same thing. <clears throat> so if consciousness, if we're just physical purely physical objects, and physicalism is true, then consciousness is going to have to be reducible to something physical like the brain. It's going to be reducible to or identical to the brain. Now, if you take the, the states of the brain and the states of the mind, you compare them, you see very quickly that they're not the same thing. Just to throw out a few, and I'm again, just trying to be brief here. Um, my thoughts can be true or false, but no no state of my brain is true or false. My, um, my, my thought that I'm talking to you right now can weigh, uh, excuse me, the brain state, when I'm thinking about you and I'm thinking I'm talking to you right now, that doesn't weigh three pounds, but my brain uh, is some brain state could possibly weigh three pounds. Um, the, the smell of banana or taste of a rose is not seven inches long, but my brain can be seven inches long. There's a lot more examples, but basically we see that these two have different properties and therefore cannot be the same thing. It's like saying Kendall Hernandez, who's my wife, Kendall Hernandez's husband and the person you're interviewing right now, they're the same person which means whatever's true of one is going to be true of the other, right? Because we're just using two different names to talk about the same person. If that's the case, when it comes to consciousness in the brain, then same rule applies. But if you can find at least one thing true of one that's not true of the other and vice versa, then they cannot be the same thing. So first I show is that consciousness is not physical. <clears throat> and then what this does is, okay, well then if consciousness is not physical, we also know that these Conscious states and properties do exist. Obviously, consciousness does exist, even if some people might want to say that it doesn't. Uh, uh, someone like Daniel Dennett might might lean in that direction, um, you know, where he says consciousness is just an illusion. And the irony, of course, is that in order to have illusions, you have to first be conscious. So you have to wonder if he was conscious when he wrote that. Um, but you look at at consciousness, and we know, okay, conscious states and properties exist, and we also know that properties 
whenever they show up in the world, are always possessed by something more basic than themselves. So if conscious states and properties exist, we can ask the question, what possesses these conscious states and properties? Well, we can answer that question by asking what's conscious. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know at least one thing for sure, and that's that I am conscious. So consciousness is not physical, and these conscious states and properties are possessed and owned by me. So the next question naturally becomes, what am I? That word, when I say I am conscious, I possess consciousness, the word I, what is that equal to? A brain and body or something like a soul? And that's where we get into the arguments, again, in principle, using Leibniz's law of identity. If two things are in question are the same, whatever's true of one is true of the other. Well, then we see I'm either just a brain and body or I'm a soul. Well, if I'm just a brain and body, these implications follow, just like one of the ones I already mentioned, you don't have identity through change. But if I do have identity through change, then it follows that I'm not a purely physical object, brain and body, I must be a soul. So there are any argument revolving that sense that's going to show that I am not identical or reducible to merely a brain and body is going to demonstrate that I am something more than a brain and body. And I would argue, therefore, I am a soul. Okay. So uh, one thing that one, one kind of question that's coming to my mind as we go through all these things, uh, it's, it's the question of, so we, we obviously, we obviously have a brain. No one denies the fact that uh, we have a brain. Uh, and, and to a lot of people, it's kind of like, it's the last frontier of science. Like I remember I had a biology teacher in high school who was talking about how like um, in the same way we had settlers traveling and discovering the wild west, like the brain's kind of like the final wild west in a sense. Like we don't know a lot about the brain and we're discovering and we're, we're going to figure this out. And um, so we so we, we obviously have this brain and I, th I think you make a very strong argument for that we have we have this soul. So uh, it's obviously a very complex question, but how, how does the soul and the brain interact? Uh, you're on mute, just so you know. Oh, sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, a few things uh, before answering the question. So it, it's funny, you know, so you said obviously we have a brain, and that's true. But but how obvious is it, and and what's the comparison to the obviousness that we have thoughts? So here's another instance of of, of showing that they're not the same thing, how there's they're, they're different properties. I, I can I can be mistaken about which which body part is mine. Um, I could be mistaken about like there's something uh, known as phantom limb pain, where someone who no longer has a limb can experience pain in a limb they do not have. So you can you, you can be mistaken about certain body parts. I, for all I know, God forbid, I can wake up one day in a dark room and then the light turns on and I'm in, in a bathtub full of ice. And lo and behold, I'm missing my kidney or something like that. Right. Uh, you, you know, there's movies and stuff like that. <clears throat> uh so I, I can be mistaken about which body parts mine or what body parts I have. I've woken up in the middle of the night with uh, my arm completely numb and I couldn't feel it. But I can never be mistaken about which thoughts are mine. So if I could never be mistaken about which thoughts are mine, but I can be mistaken about what body parts I have or what body parts I'm missing or do have, then it follows again that I am not merely a brain and body and that consciousness is not the same thing or reducible to something physical. I would say it's more obvious that you are a soul that is conscious than it is that you have a brain. Uh, imagine some civilization who's never uh, uh, never uh, looked into neuroscience. If you say you know that we have a brain, or they might not even know what a brain is, but they know what thoughts are. They know what consciousness is. They they, they know what it's like to think and have thoughts and have have beliefs and desires and sensations, and yet they might not know have any clear idea what a synapse firing is or what that's like. Right. So <clears throat> that's the first thing to be said. Uh, Secondly, you ask, how does the, the brain and the soul interact? <clears throat> that, that's a really good question. And I would say that, that 
uh, in short, I would say it's it's a primitive action. It's a basic action. There comes a point to where uh, um, you you no longer you, you kind of hit bedrock where you're no longer asking how does X you know function or work, but rather what does it mean for X to function or work. So if I ask you what does it mean uh, uh, to be even, you know you could say something like divisible by two. And after one or two more questions, or maybe that's even it, you can't really go any further. So it, it, it becomes a it, it becomes a bedrock to where you stop asking how is something even and rather change the question to what does it mean for something to be even? Uh, in the same sense, when we're looking at these things, I would say it's it, it's you're kind of hitting that bedrock. Now, let, let, let me play um, – let me kind of appeal to someone saying, well, well, there has to be – a way that the the soul interacts with the brain and vice versa. And I'll say, well, there is, even if we don't know it. So another thing to say, just side note, is that this is a, a, an epistemic question of how something works, not an ontological question of whether or not it does work. So I may have no clue how my car operates. I can I can lift up the hood and have no idea what's going on, but it doesn't mean I can't drive my car. So whether or not I know how my car works is irrelevant as to whether or not my car exists and whether or not I can drive my car. <clears throat> that being said, uh, when, if someone's going to ask, how does the soul interact with the brain or vice versa? In some sense, they're almost implicitly asking, what's the intervening mechanism by which A interacts with B? Now, let's say I gave one. Let's say I say the way A interacts with B is via mechanism C. Well, that doesn't necessarily solve the problem. It just pushes back the goalposts because the next question you can ask is, okay, well, how does A interact with C in order to interact with B? And I can pause it again. Well, let's say A interacts with C to interact with B by mechanism D. And then you just keep going and going and going. So at some point, there needs to, there needs to hit a bedrock. And I say if we just pull out Occam's razor, we can shave away the unnecessary hypothesis and say that it is a basic primitive action that happens directly. Even if I can't explain how, it's irrelevant to whether or not the soul does exist and whether or not we do see or find evidence that there is a, a dualistic interaction going on there. Uh, I think, okay, a lot of really good points you bring up here. And I think, uh, one of the most common things you probably hear, um, in, in response to th this view is some sort of like the idea of like brain damage. Um, you take it a few different ways. Like for example, someone who has brain damage, it obviously shapes their reality. They can think they, the, they're very different. Like for example, I have a friend who, uh, was a normal kid. Uh, just was just you know like you or me. Um, and he had a brain aneurysm when he was around nine or ten, and it's just totally like changed not only his physical state, but the the way he interacts mentally. Um, the way he can talk, things like that. Um, you look at something similar where you look at like Down syndrome. Um, things like that where there there's these seems like there's like these physical conditions, things that we can look at through um whether it's our DNA or some sort of injury and it, it impacts the way that we can uh, perceive and interact with the world. So obviously it's a really big question, but, but how do you look at this whole idea of like brain damage or a, a mental disorder or something, something along these lines? Yeah, <clears throat> this is a, a very common um, pushback. I wouldn't really call it an objection. Uh, there's a difference between an objection by which someone is saying your view is wrong because, and I'm not saying you're saying this, I'm just uh, speaking off the cuff out loud here, you know, saying your view is wrong because of X versus saying, if your view is true, how do you reconcile or fit X into this? And I think the the question you asked is, is more towards the latter, which is a question I get a lot, <clears throat> which uh, is sometimes posed as if it were some type of objection. It's not an objection it, at best is a challenge or, or, or an inquiry as to unpack your position a little bit further. <clears throat> now, uh, when 
in, in short, and you tell me, you know, how much you want to unpack or not, but, but basically, <clears throat> uh, um, JP uses this example and I think it's a pretty good one. <clears throat> Suppose you were, you were locked in your car. Suppose someone put you in a car and they welded the door shut. It would follow that your ability to move around town would be dependent on how good the car is functioning and working. If you got a great, perfectly good functioning car with AC and the gas is full, then you're good for you know so many miles, right? You can you can move around town, you can be cool, keep the AC on. Uh, but but once that gas starts running low, or once you start putting a lot of miles on it, you know you might not be able to turn on the AC, so now it's going to get hot. You might get a flat tire, so now the car's going to be a little bit wobbly. In other words, the functioning of the car is going to limit your mobility because you are within that car itself. In principle we can see the same thing with the soul and the brain and body. <clears throat> as long as I am embodied, if I am a soul, and again, the arguments I'd say would show that I am not a, a brain and body. You can uh, go to my YouTube channel, type my name in Eric Hernandez. You can see some of the arguments that I go through on the soul in there. But if, if, if we can see that I am not a brain and body, then using this, this worldview uh, that we've established here, <clears throat> Whether someone agrees with it or not, they can at least track the answer to whenever they push back like this and saying that whatever happens to my body is going to affect the uh, the interaction that my soul has with it. it. It's a cause and effect relationship. There's different types of relationships. Now, note that uh, and this is important here because a lot of people that I debate with tend to miss this. Note that when I give the arguments that consciousness is not physical, I'm talking about an argument regarding the relationship of identity between mind and brain, saying they're not the same thing. Now, there's a difference between an identity relationship and a cause and effect relationship, and this is very important. Um, <clears throat> an identity relationship is that A is A. Eric Hernandez is Kendall Hernandez's husband. In other words, it, it, it's, it's a one-to-one -one ratio. That, that's the relationship of identity. But saying A causes B is not saying A is not A. These are two different, different statements and positions. So if I say... Um, my mind is not the same thing as my brain and I give an argument from it and someone says, okay, but wait a minute. If I damage your brain, you lose your memory. I say, yeah, sure. Go on. How does that affect my argument at all that the mind is not the brain and reducible to the brain? In other words, my argument regarding identity is completely unaffected by an argument showing a cause and effect relationship. And as I mentioned earlier, I completely 100% agree. It's not as if uh, uh, people who have studied this for thousands of years, studied philosophy of mind say, wait a minute, are you telling me that, that when you get hit over the head, which is probably something cavemen would have known, if I, if I hit you over the head really hard, you get dizzy and, and you might lose memory? What, a, what, what an epiphany. Why didn't I ever think of this, right? Um, but clearly there's a cause and effect relationship. Now, the illustration I like to uh, use is regarding a, an instrument, like let's say a guitar. <clears throat> if, if I pop um, a guitar string or, or detune my guitar, it's going to affect the way that I play the music. No matter how good of a musician I am, if you mess with my instrument, you're going to mess my ability to convey my talent through the instrument that I'm using. So um, uh, brain damage and Alzheimer's and people losing their memory no more disproves the existence of a soul any more than a pop guitar string disproves the existence of guitars or the note C. So sure, there's a cause and effect relationship, but I please hope anybody who debates me in the future on this issue or, or whatever the case is, please, I, I hope they understand this, that the relationship of identity is completely different than a relationship of cause and effect. These are two completely separate uh, um, inquiries and one does not necessarily affect the other.
I, I understand and agree there is a cause and effect relationship. You, you damage your brain, you can damage, con excuse me, you can damage the way my soul interacts with consciousness, but it doesn't prove they're the same thing. All they have shown is a cause and effect relationship. They have not shown that A is A. All they've shown is A interacts and affects B and vice versa. Okay, uh, a lot of interesting points here, and I, I think one of the key things that I'm kind of getting from 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 your argument and everything you're explaining is that the mind you you can't reduce it into completely a physical entity. Like there has to be this soul. Um, so if you were going to explain it to someone who's let's just say like they're like a ninth grader or something something along those lines, someone who's not well informed on all these topics, how would you explain it to someone that that, that you can't reduce uh, their mind, their thoughts to just to just physical to physical terms? Um, well, <clears throat> again, uh, depending on who it is, how long, how much time I have with them, but, but basically, um, well, I, I guess I would, if, if they're, if they're assuming you could, I would kind of throw the ball back in their court and say, how would you do this? Uh, describe to me consciousness using just physical terms. And I would just kind of sit and let them answer and see what they have to say. But you take away <clears throat> every physical description of the world and <clears throat> you you can still have consciousness. You can still have desires, right? Uh, uh, things having mass, shape, size, and stuff like that, that those are uh, thing properties that describe physical objects, but don't describe my, my mental life. Um, having a shape doesn't describe the taste of banana. Um, having size doesn't describe the uh, um, smell of a rose, right? So, the, and what's even interesting, and this is maybe going a little bit deeper uh, than, than we need to, but, but I find this fascinating when I heard Moreland say this once, who's my favorite philosopher and theologian ever, uh, Dr. J.P. Moreland, even when you talk about physical objects and you describe physical properties, you're ultimately appealing back to mind. And I would say, argue that mind is fundamental. Mind is what's always been here. Obviously, God's mind, God uh, being an unembodied mind. <clears throat> but let, let's take, for example, the property of being hard. When you describe the property of being hard, what are you describing? Are you describing the object? Are you describing a sensation that you get, which is a mental state whenever you are in contact with the object? So what's funny is that in order to even describe physical objects, we have to appeal back to the mind because you cannot describe purely physical objects without the mind, but you can describe the mind without purely physical objects. And that's what I think is just absolutely incredible. So you can't reduce uh, uh, something that, that, that can exist without the other and yet say that the one that can exist without the other, in fact, came from the other. Because it, it, that's, in, this, in essence, a logical contradiction to say if, if the mind can exist without anything physical, then you can't necessarily say that the mind came from something physical if one is contingent and one is fundamental. Uh, a lot to unpack there, but uh, let's, let's move on a little bit to some common objections we'll probably hear, you know, some of the more common things we'll see in some of these circles. And we talked a little bit about the idea of brain damage and all that stuff. Um, but uh, another objection that we we'll probably hear is that this whole idea of, the soul and consciousness doesn't lead to any to like Christianity or even theism in particular. Could there could be a pantheistic or a deistic explanation? So, kind of, how do you look at that when you when you see someone throw that on you? Yeah, well, um, well, I, I was. It could lead to that. Sure, it could. And I would just ask them to continue. You know, if, if someone says, "Well, this could also lead to a, a polytheism," I say, "Sure, it can. Uh, go on, explain how." Um, now, much much like some of the other arguments. Um, they, they aren't necessarily getting you to per se one particular God, but showing that uh, I'll put it this way. <laughs> if I'm talking to someone who's a non-believer, uh, uh, especially if someone is a natural, then 
I'm not trying to ask them to take quote leaps of faith, but rather uh, uh, step steps of faith. Oh, excuse me. Hold on, real quick. And we are in a moment's answer. <laughs> okay, sorry, I had to come back. Okay, yeah, my daughter. Um, I, I'm asking them to take a step of faith, which is a lot easier to take than a quote leap of faith. Um, before I get them to a Trinitarian Christian Judeo God. First, let's establish there's more to the, than the natural world than just purely physical objects. And then we get out of the realm of naturalism. And then, you know, we keep moving step-by-step -step process. I think an argument from consciousness is incredibly powerful because I think it kind of cuts both ways in that showing that first there is more to the, the – there's more to reality than just the physical world. And then I would even say, too, that it shows that mind is fundamental. And that there must exist something, and you, and especially when you couple this with other arguments like the argument from contingency or even the Kalam, it shows that there is something that must exist that is a personal entity that is an unembodied conscious mind from which all other consciousness derive from. Uh, again, especially when you mix that with something like a, an argument from contingency, you can use that uh, in combination with an argument from consciousness and show that um, in order for any consciousness to exist, there must have been a fundamental consciousness, namely God. So... Now, if someone wants to say this could also point to some type of a polytheism, I would say, well, I don't why why posit a type of polytheism when one would do. Um, and, and again, just it would be a case by case basis. Okay, uh, another one of the probably the more common objections you you'll probably see is that this whole argument from consciousness is really just a, some sort of like a, a god of the gaps fallacy, like. Um, you're just saying, well, you know, we can't explain where where our thoughts come from yet, but just saying God did it doesn't help. Eventually, there's going to be a scientific explanation like there was for uh, evolutionary theory or you could even go for, I could say, gravity or anything along these lines. So so, so, what do you say when someone says that this, this whole idea of this argument from consciousness is just really some sort of like a God of the gaps uh, fallacy? Yeah, I, I'd say, uh, wow, you've got a lot more faith than I do. Um when, and especially if they're going to say something like, well, we'll have a naturalistic explanation in the future, I would say prove it. How do you know? It, what makes you think that? If The irony here is that I don't think this is – first of all, it's by no means a God or soul of the gaps because base, uh, a, a gaps argument is an argument that is basically an argument from ignorance. Like you said, it's saying, I don't know, therefore. Not once throughout our conversation have I said, quote, I don't know, therefore, or, or even I don't know how this this or that works. I'm saying based on what we do know, it's not an argument from what we don't know. It's an argument from what we do know, given metaphysics, the law of identity. We do know that A is not the same thing as B, given their different properties. This is by no means an argument from ignorance. This is an argument from, from knowledge, not from our knowledge, from not knowing. <clears throat> Ironically, also, is that for someone to say, no, it can't be something like a soul or let's wait for a naturalistic explanation, that's actually a naturalism of the gaps. As opposed to being a god of the gaps, now they're positing a naturalism of the gaps saying, let's not go to anything supernatural. Let's cross our fingers and we're going to say pray, but you know, you get what I'm saying there, and, and just kind of hope that some natural explanation eventually comes. That's an argument from ignorance, not what I'm arguing. So if someone says, no, let's wait out for a naturalistic explanation – I would say that, that that is a gaps argument. On top of that, I would say it's metaphysically impossible <clears throat> to get consciousness from, from, from matter. Uh, Thomas Nagel, who's an atheist, wrote an entire book on this. Uh, but but I, I like to put it this way. To say that we can get consciousness from physical matter would, would be the equivalent of, of, of rearranging a red brick house in order to try and get the color blue. There are no combination 
of red bricks that you can add, take away, or no structure or rearrangement that you can give them that will ever give you the color blue because their color blue does not come from a rearrangement of red bricks. If there is no God and consciousness is not fundamental, and you just start with purely physical objects, rearranging themselves into more complicated bits of matter through natural selection, then you don't get consciousness squared into existence by just rearranging physical matter. It, it just uh, We can go on and much deeper into that, but I think the point is simple, and I'll just go back to the illustration. You don't get the color blue by rearranging red bricks, and you don't get consciousness by rearranging matter. Okay, um, I mean we could, but we'll probably we'll probably move on here. Uh, there's a lot that we can unpack, and one thing I really like to hit on here is we kind of go into our last kind of question I have before we do some Q and A. And this is probably one of the most common things that I I see in this whole like consciousness idea. And there's a lot of atheists who will say uh, there is absolutely no evidence for the soul. Um, maybe there's arguments or theories, but if you look at the scientific peer-reviewed literature, there's absolutely nothing that says that there is anything beyond the physical regarding our consciousness or mental states. Um, it's funny because I actually just saw a tweet just like 20 minutes before um, this live stream. And they're like, why are you doing this live stream if there's absolutely no evidence um, in the scientific literature for the soul? So I think it's a pretty relevant question because – I feel like you get get this a lot. So what do you think about this whole idea? I, I think it's, 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 um, well, I probably couldn't say what I think, uh, cause we're, we're live and I don't want to, I don't want to, um, get in trouble here, but I think it's ridiculous. I'll put it that way. Um, when someone says stuff like that, it immediately reveals to me how little they understand about the field and how little research they've actually done or looked into it themselves. Um, I've talked with a number of atheists, uh, uh, some recorded, some not. Uh, T Jump comes to mind that when when they say things like that, I like to do this. And, and uh, anyone who who's going to debate me in the future or wants to debate me or plans on debating me, whatever the case is, let me give you a freebie here. Here's what I'm going to ask you if you say something like that. I'm going to say, I'm going to pull out my pen. I'm going to give it a nice little click. I'm going to pull out my notepad and I'm going to say, okay, can you please name to me what books on the soul have you read? Or can you please name to me the top arguments you've heard on the soul? Or could you please name to me two, maybe three of the people who specialize in this field that you looked into? I've never gotten a good answer or, or an actual answer. I've usually gotten something like, uh, you can watch my debate with you jump, and he says something like, oh, uh, well, well, there just are no good arguments. I was like, okay, name one. You say, well, they're just all, they're just all bad. Okay, I'm just asking for one, right? Uh, uh, just, just name one. What's the best that you've heard? I'm not saying... What's the best you've heard that you agree with? Obviously, you don't. Just, just give me one. I've never heard someone who, who can actually give me one. Uh, what books you've read? Also, haven't heard that. I've heard. Well, I've watched some YouTube videos on it. That, that's a good start. It's fantastic. But, but what experts have you looked into? People who usually say stuff like there is no evidence for it. <clears throat> I, my, one of my first questions is, what evidence have you looked into? Uh, if, if you ask me, you know, is physicalism true? And I say no. And they say, well, what evidence have you looked into? What are the arguments? I'll give you some names. I'll give you some books. I'll tell you some people who, who, who argue for these kind of positions. And then I'll tell you why I disagree. You should be able to do the same if, if you're going to say there is no arguments or evidence for X, Y, Z position. Especially when they start saying, you know, you look at the scientific data. I mean, so, so you're going to tell me what scientists think. Why don't you, you know, uh, with all due respect to plumbers, look at what plumbers think about consciousness and where it comes from. Because it almost means just as much to me. Again, no disrespect to plumbers. You know, I, I, I had a friend who was a plumber. Um, the point is simply that the, this is not their field. Uh, asking what a scientist thinks about consciousness w w would be asking uh, 
like what a dentist thinks about um, about neuroscience. It, it's not their field. It's metaphysics, not physics. <coughs> On top of that, there are neuroscientists who believe in the soul. Uh, Jeffrey Schwartz, who at one point was an atheist, who is a leading neuroscientist, I think he's at UCLA, who, who gets thousands of hundreds of thousands of dollars to do research, who's uh, one of the leading experts in cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, Mario Bogregard, I think, uh, I, I forget how you pronounce that name. There, there's a few other neuroscientists I can mention who believe in the soul. And you can't say, in other words, people say, well, you just believe in the soul because you don't understand the neuroscience. Okay. Let me give you that. Let, let's pretend that's true. Okay. Tell it, tell it to these people. Tell it to Nobel Prize winners. Uh, uh, Karl Popper, uh, uh, who who uh, would agree with, with a lot of these things that I'm saying uh, regarding consciousness and the soul, and yet they have PhDs and are leading neuroscientists in the world. You can't accuse them of not understanding the neuroscience. So I think it's a red herring. I, I think it's ignorance. I think it's laziness. I think it's a way of trying to shut down the conversation without having one. Uh, but, but once you start having that conversation and not letting it get shut down, it exposes really quickly how ignorant, uneducated, and just how much time they spent looking into these kind of things. Hmm. Uh, so uh, one side question here before we get into some Q and A, what, when someone, someone says something like this on a skeptical side, what, what resources would you point them to either it's a paper or a book? What are a couple of resources you point them to to say, show them, Hey, you're, you're just, you're just wrong about this whole idea. That there's no evidence to the contrary of just a physicalist uh, <laughs> mindset. Uh, well, uh, you can look at, uh, I already mentioned Thomas Nagel, who's an atheist. Look at his work. Um, he would agree with much of what I'm saying. Look at um, Jaguan Kim, an, another person who's not a believer and who's arguing a lot with what I'm saying. Uh, a lot of these are uh, John John Sorrow, another atheist. Uh, uh, um, and these are all PhDs in their fields. Uh, also uh, is going to, he's going to label it differently, but pretty much going a lot in line with what I'm saying. Uh, Frank Jackson, a an agnostic who's come up with arguments showing that the mind and brain are not the same thing. And so far, I've only mentioned people who are not believers. These are not Christians, and they're giving these types of arguments. So um, if they think I, okay, you know, in other words, <clears throat> you want to say that I believe this because I'm ignorant, I don't understand the neuroscience, fine. Go talk to the neuroscience who do believe it. You want to say I believe it just because I'm a Christian, I don't know what I'm talking about, fine. Go talk to the atheists who believe it. In other words, you can straw you, you can straw man and red herring and and ad hominem attack me. That's fine. I don't mind it. But once you take that away, then I'd say, okay, then go talk to the people who you can't give these accusations and objections to, which which are again red herrings or ad hominems, uh, straw men, and go talk to them and read their stuff and then tell me what you think. Because it, it's not something I'm coming up with or I'm saying. This is stuff that other people have written, researched, and done long before I lived, and who are going to agree and argue. The things that I'm arguing, in fact, it's their arguments, not mine. And these aren't even people who believe in God. Hmm. All right, let's go into some Q&A. We got some questions here. Uh, we got some fun ones, too. Uh, we'll just start off with some simple ones. Uh, Derek Smith, uh, how's it going, Derek, says, are you familiar with the book Who Counts as Persons by John Canova? I don't think so. All right, short but sweet. Uh, well, there are a couple questions on this, but uh, we'll just use one from Derek. What are some resources you recommend on this subject? Yeah, my absolute favorite, and um, and every time I do these interviews, I always say, "Where's that book?" and I always put it in a different room. Um, it's it's called Body and Soul by J.P. Moreland and Scott Buray. It goes into the arguments, and it even goes into um, uh, how these relate to ethics. In fact, the sub it's Mind and Body, and the subtitle is 
human nature and the crisis and ethics. And it goes into things of how personhood and the soul is absolutely central and relevant to things like um, abortion, euthanasia, in vitro fertilization, cloning, um, all these kind of really interesting uh, ethical questions and dilemmas that the question of the soul and personhood is absolutely central to these things. Um, uh, Richard Swinburne uh, has written a lot of good stuff as well on on, on consciousness and, and soul. Um, there was another one that I was just, uh, Jaguan Kim, his book, I forget what it's called. It, it came out quite some time ago. Um, of course, it's been, it's been updated and revised, and he passed away. It's, it's late Jaguan Kim, not too long ago. Um, but he has some great stuff. And again, this is this is an, uh, a non-believer, I believe he's an atheist, if not agnostic, um, who, who's written, I, I love reading his stuff. I mean, it is, it's, it's, I have to look back at the cover and remind myself who I'm reading uh, when he's arguing some of these things, but he really goes after it. And of course, again, Nagel, uh, from a non-believer's perspective, John Sorrow has a really good Chinese room, what he calls a Chinese room argument um, that he kind of came up with on a plane off the cuff, he says, that I think is a really good argument against functionalism, which is a type of physicalism. Uh, but yeah, a lot of great resources out there, and uh, some of the ones I mentioned I think are a great place to start. Uh, Trinity Radio, shout out to Trinity, Trinity Radio. Braxton Hunter says, "Is this Hernandez Skyler fiction too?" Skyler's looking so fantastic. I mean, Skyler obviously destroyed you in the in that debate. So I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, hey, Braxton, how's it going? Or or Pritchett, uh, love those guys, good friends of mine. Um, is is it part is part two? Um, I don't necessarily plan on it. Um, uh, I, I recently did a review of of. Um, of my, of my interaction with Skylar. Uh, I had initially, now I'll say this, I had initially planned on doing a two part review um, because one in where I'm just kind of going through his debate review and his kind of tactics and childish behavior. And then another video where I just kind of go through the actual arguments. Um, but there's a lot, some of the stuff is going to be a lot of overlapping, but I don't know. It's still in the back of my mind about maybe at least doing another, uh, a, a part two of that review where I kind of go into the arguments. Um, haven't decided yet. Uh, uh, so, uh, but as far as a part two, I, I don't necessarily plan on it. Um, uh, unless it's just really worthwhile, but I, I can't, I can't see any reason that it would be worthwhile that I can think of, but who knows? With God, <laughs> all things are possible. Amen. Uh, Derek Smith says, how long will this interview last? This interview is going to last forever and you cannot escape Derek. Um, yeah, stuck here. Uh, kind of curious here. why he's asking. Is it is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it like eh, when is it going to end? I got stuff to do. Or hey, I like <laughs> this. Keep going. When is it going to end? I'm, I'm hoping it's the latter. But I mean, if, if it's the first, you know, he could have just left. He doesn't have to like complain and like ruin the vibe here. You know, like come on, dear. I, I do have a, about a two and a half hour video on my channel where I do talk about and go through the arguments of the soul and unpack in a lot more depth. So um, if anybody is curious and wants a little little more than what we're going to go here, you're free to check it out there. Hmm. Uh, Trinity Radio here again, Braxton. I guess it's a question for me. I, I saw this. He says, why have you neglected so long to name Braxton Hunter as the best new artist of 2020? The people want to know. Well, I mean, it's true. I don't know if you're still listening, Braxton, but if you if you were the best new artist, you would have won the Apologetics March Madness tournament. But I mean, you didn't. So <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> he, I don't know what number he was, but let's say he was number he was number two on, in the March Madness, but he's number one in my heart. <laughs> well, I mean, we don't do participant participation trophies in apologies, Mark. So <laughs> I don't know if that counts for anything. Uh, it's all for fun. Um, all jokes. Uh, where are you? Okay, here's a here's a really interesting argument for the existence of God from Trinity Radio and Braxton Hunter. He says, if God does not exist, souls do not exist. 
Number two, purpose two, uh, Braxton Hunter is the sexiest, bald-headed, bearded apologist on YouTube after Tim Stratton. Therefore, God exists. Well, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I, I, I like that he added the caveats uh, and disclaimers of bald-headed and bearded, so that would exclude uh, him from being in my category. So I would say that's fair. Um, had he not added in the baldness, I would say I don't know because – if you look at my shameless plug, if you look at my uh, review video of Skylar Fiction, he did tell people to look at my face like seven plus times. So I think that kind of mm -hmm. gives me some credibility as far as looks uh, goes, where you have a, a enemy attestation, a non-believer uh, telling other people to look at my face. So I just I just throw that out there. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty that's some pretty legit evidence. You know, I like what's yeah. going on with um. You got the hair going back, and maybe one day I'll grow out my hair and try to be like Eric Hernandez one day. Um, no, aim higher. Aim much <laughs> higher than that. Uh, Ethan Silva says, uh, interesting question here. Do our souls exist in a platonic realm? Oh, good question. So <clears throat> I, I think if you're just hearing about these kind of arguments and thought processes and, and, and ways of talking about the soul for the first time, one of the biggest obstacles you're going to have to get over is – thinking in physical terms. Um, <clears throat> I'm by no means a conspiracist theorist. Um, so when I say brainwashing, I mean it for lack of a better word, kind of tongue in cheek, but we've been brainwashed by our society and, and just, just our entire culture to think in terms of physical terms. So note, and again, I'm not picking on uh, Ethan here. I think this is just a good point to bring up. <clears throat> he said, dark souls exist in a platonic realm. I'm not sure what he meant by the word in, but usually the word in is typically thought of as, as a type of physical, like, like a location, right? Um, but, but to ask this, again, don't know if he's asking it that way, but most people do kind of tend to ask these kind of questions in the way I'm describing. <clears throat> Note, it automatically assumes there is an in to be, uh, to be existing in, so to speak. If I asked you, could you point to me on the map? Oh, give me a world map or a map of the universe and, and give me the coordinates for where the number two is at. And, and then how much does it weigh and how many number twos can you fit in your pocket and how many times can you drive around the block with it? it, it it's, it's an incoherent question because these are category fallacies, right? You cannot fit number twos in your pocket because they're not the kind of things that can be fit into pockets. They don't have mass or size or shape. Um, in the same sense, so one of the biggest things that one is going to have to kind of obstacle they have to get over because of our culture and our upbringing <clears throat> is this idea that we think of things in terms of of, of physical uh, using physical terminology to describe things because technically speaking i don't per se have a physical location i'm a non-physical entity yes there is there is a geographical physical location by which uh, uh my soul operates within this body where i can correlate things that happen and influences that I have over, <coughs> but my soul is omnipresent to my body. When I wiggle my finger and then wiggle my toe, it's not as if I wiggle my finger and then it takes me half a millisecond to go from, for my soul to go from my finger to my toe. And right. It, it, it can happen just simultaneously because it's omnipresent to that. So one, one of the biggest obstacles is to, to, to get out of the habitual way of thinking in terms of, of physical terminology used to describe things. I'll say it this way. <coughs> When I teach on this stuff, I love asking this question. Sorry, I keep clearing my throat. I, I don't know what. Anyways, um, <laughs> um, I, I like to ask this question uh, to kind of stir the pot a little bit. I love stirring the pot. Uh, I say something like, "Does uh, do we need a brain to think? Especially when I'm in, in college campuses, I ask people, do we need a brain to think? Almost nine, 99.9 .9 times out of 10, people shake their head yes. Okay. 
And then I say, okay, does, and especially if I'm with Christians, I say, does God have a brain? And at this point, some people stop answering. Some people answer, but they answer consciously. Some say yes, some say no. And I say, and then I say, no, of course he doesn't, right? We're not Mormons, right? God does not have a brain. Okay. Does God think? Well, yes, of course. The, the Psalm says that his thoughts towards us are more than the grains of sand. Um, so God thinks, but he doesn't have a brain. And, and he thinks just fine. Then I say, huh. Hey, wait a minute. Are you made in his image? And then I go back to the first question. Do you need a brain to think? Now, here's the point I'm trying to make is that we grow up in a society in which we're taught that that uh, um, we go to these school systems and not picking on, on a, a public school system or anything by any means or, or just any school system. It, whether it's public or private, I, I've seen it in all places. It, it's, it's as if, you know, we, we want to have this neutral ground and, and we have a separation of church and state. So rather than bring up any kind of immaterial entities like souls or spirits, let's be neutral and just say, since we know that when we think there's neurons firing, let's let let's say that it's in that consciousness is in the brain. Well, first of all, that's not being neutral. That that's going to naturalism. That's the complete opposite of being neutral. But then we go we go to a secular society and culture that teaches us that it is your brain thinks, and then we go to a church service Sunday morning and we worship a God that has no brain and yet thinks just fine, and we never let these two beliefs come together. You've got to do a lot better than that. We've got to take our faith more seriously and take these things more seriously. Ask your average Christian, what, it, what is a soul? What does it mean to have a soul? What is a soul? Do animals have souls? Most of the time you'll get, well, it, you know, if, well, the soul is the thing that, that goes to heaven when you die. Oh, is that it? Is that, is that all it is? It's just kind of a thing that goes to heaven. In other words, there's, uh, it's, it's evident really quickly that not too many people have taken this seriously enough to put some serious thought into it. Um, but I went way longer than, than I should have. Uh, no, it does not exist in a platonic realm. It does not exist in, quote, a realm. It is a non-physical thing it is an immaterial substance um the best way to kind of help wrap your mind around that is to kind of ask the question regarding the number two where does the number now you could say in a, now i just caught myself here you could say the number two exists in a platonic realm but even then it's not as if it is a physical location that's why i say i don't know how he's asking it but but no it doesn't exist quote in a platonic realm um it's 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 something that I, I think the question of in doesn't necessarily apply. And we say that that these platonic objects exist in a platonic realm just to kind of categorize the difference of their nature between other things that exist. But I think even people who are Platonists aren't going to say that there is a, quote, platonic realm you can go to if you have a, a, a rocket ship that has enough fuel to get there. There's not a place to go to to find these platonic objects in a, quote, platonic realm. Uh, next question here from Ramon DeLarge says uh, – what was your opinion on the debate with Tom Jump and Jump's argument on the brain forming physical shapes? Uh, that part really confused me. So I've, I've never said this publicly, and I don't think it's a secret or anything like that because I, I don't think Tom would would um, isn't trying to necessarily hide this either. I don't think he, he – I think Tom's a pretty transparent guy. I like the guy. I've met him on a few occasions, and I mean every time I, I, I have seen him in person, it's like, hey, man, hey, what's up? And we just kind of pick up where we left off. Oops, excuse me. Um, Sorry, I kicked my tripod there. Um, <clears throat> but last time I saw him in person, somebody else had said, hey, Tom, could you please explain or in expand on that thing you were talking about, about those shapes in the brain and the cat? Uh, you know, you cut the cat's brain in half. Also, you can go watch that debate on my channel and my commentary review video on that. But I remember when I had asked him first initially about it, he said he had saw it on some documentary that he saw either on YouTube or on Netflix, but he couldn't remember what documentary he saw this, this uh, uh, experiment happen in. So in other words, he didn't give me a source, and I was like, okay, fine, 
but he said he didn't remember which one it was. Okay. No harm, no foul, whatever. I don't want to push it further. Last time I saw him in person, someone else asked him about this. And he like, he, he can publicly correct me if I'm wrong. This is how I remember it. I, you know, I don't want to say anything that's not true. <clears throat> but he basically said, as I remember it, ah, don't worry about that. Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, uh, I, I, I don't think there was – I forgot the exact words, but basically he gave the impression that, oh, yeah, I, I kind of goofed on that one or I was wrong on that one. But he kind of just blew it off and said, yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, don't – yeah, don't worry about that. Either retracting, backpedaling, or just saying maybe he made a mistake. I don't know. Um, I mean, if you're watching this, Tom, maybe you can you can let us know and, and, and tell us. But, um, again, that's, that's how I remember it. But, yeah, it confused me too. Um, you can look at my commentary review video and you can see how confusing it was to the point to where you know, I had to spit water out because I had no idea what, what was going on there. But yeah. Uh, Rock Speed says I had to miss most of the first hour. I'm going to continue uh, for a second. Well, we actually just hit the second hour. So, you know, uh, things do dreams come true. God's plan. Uh, Trinity radio says number one in Eric Hernandez's heart. That's better than anything else. That's sweet. Well, thank you. That is sweet. <laughs> what a nice guy. Uh, Converse contenders is Eric. Any upcoming debates? Um, I, I believe so. <clears throat> um, there's a, <clears throat> I was on a YouTube channel for a group in the Philippines. Um, that, that's another interesting story. It, it was pretty, pretty unique and interesting too. I, I, I didn't put it on my channel, but it's, I think it's shared the video on my Facebook page some time ago and you can hear like chickens in the background. It's an entirely different culture and, and, and awesome guy that I got to talk with, but they, they have a growing atheist group over there in the Philippines and he messaged me about a week or so ago and asked if I'd be willing to debate one of the, their atheist leaders, I guess, or admins from one of their biggest atheist group they have that has a huge following. So that might happen in a few weeks, uh, possibly at the end of this month, I'll be debating um, someone from the Philippines who is an American and they did it like that. That way there's no language barriers. Um, uh, so he, he's a natural born in America, moved to the Philippines um, if I'm not mistaken, I should be debating Arn Raw sometime next month on the existence of the soul, um, on a gospel truth channel. We'll see how that goes. Uh, that we'll see how that goes. I'll, I'll put it that way. Uh, <laughs> see if you see if it does happen. Um, and then I think I'm going to be debating somebody else on the existence of the soul sometime next month. Uh, I was on another channel. Um, and this guy basically said, what do you think of this person's objections? And I responded to these objections. And that person that I was responding to apparently, uh, watched the video and heard it and, you know, was interested in doing a debate with me on it. So, uh, that, that, that would be good. That'd be interesting. In fact, I might post that video sometime of, of me responding to his objections. Um, and other than that, uh, those three, I think not, nothing else that I can think of that's, that's been put forth to me, but, I think those three so far are the ones that I'll be looking forward to and be doing some some preparation for. So keep me in your prayers. Mm. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking about Aaron Raw, and I forget what exactly the question you asked him. But you do have one of the funniest clips of all time in that um, IP Aaron Raw debate when you asked Aaron that question. Uh, yeah. Nick Quine says, what is the relationship between the soul and the body as it relates to the intermediate state? If the soul can survive physical death, how does that work with bodily resurrection? Also, hugs to Eric. Hey, Nick, my man, yeah. Uh, Nick, Nick's a brilliant guy, by the way. I just want to say, uh, you know, uh, put that out there. Love the guy. Appreciate his support. Um, <clears throat> and Nick's a physicalist, uh, if I'm not mistaken. He can correct me if I'm wrong, but basically he's not a substance dualist. I'll put it that way. Uh, he and I disagree. <clears throat> so what's the relationship between the soul and body as it relates to the intermediate state? Great question. So 
how much time do we have? Uh, this goes into what's called the traducian view of the soul. There are two views of, of the, quote, origin of the soul. I hold to the traducian view as opposed to the creationist view. To try and be brief <coughs> and to oversimplify, the creationist view of the soul says, again, I'm, I'm just oversimplifying here. Um, God looks down and sees a fertilized egg and says, yep, that bad boy looks like it's, you know, it, it looks good enough. Let's zap it with the soul. And God zaps that bad boy with the soul. That's the creation of the soul. So God is continually creating souls whenever those, the, the conditions are met. On the traducing view, it's the approach basically that God has instantiated the world in such a way that things reproduce after their kind, like it says in Genesis, including uh, uh, souls in the metaphysical sense. So the uh, biological matter is infused with soulish toady potentiality, what I've heard Moreland call. And when uh, uh, a mommy soul and a daddy soul uh, get together and become one flesh, there is a metaphysical um, substantial change that happens that, that a new soul comes to be. Much like when uh, you have to – so when, when I was studying the soul – uh, when I was really deep in studying the soul, when I was first studying this years ago, I remember putting my books down and my Bible down, just kind of sitting back on my couch, looking up. And that verse just really spoke to me that said, you know, that the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. And, and just thinking about how big the the non-seen and material realm really is compared to what we can see. And it just it it made everything feel so much smaller, like like I thought, like it, it just really expanded my thinking and mind. To just even even reflect on that, I say all that to say, <clears throat> um, got a little bit on a tangent there. So, yeah. on the traducing view of the soul, <clears throat> the soul is ontolog exists ontologically prior to the body. Now, that basically means I'm not talking temporally prior, but ontologically prior, meaning a soul exists first prior to a body. Again, not in time; they can exist simultaneously, but it is a soul that that is fundamental prior to the body, and it's actually the soul that drives the formation of the body. I know that opened up another can of worms that we don't have time to go into. I believe in that two and a half hour video, I go into it a little bit more in there. But basically, so I have the body that I have because of the soul that I have. And when the soul survives the death of the body, it's it's actually the body that cannot exist without the soul and the soul can exist without the body. So in the intermediate state, I will say this, that that without the body, the soul is in an unnatural state, an undesirable state. In fact, um, um, Paul seems to not want to go through that intermediate state and, and, you know, seems to just want to go straight to the resurrection. So a disembodied soul is not the natural state uh, that the soul should be in. I want to make that clear. Um, it's not as if, you know, we're not Gnostics and saying that the body's evil. The soul is meant to be embodied. It was created to be embodied. So that intermediate state is indeed an, an unnatural state for the soul to be in. It's a less desirable state. So that's why in the resurrection we will have bodies because that is a natural state of the soul that it should be in. It was made to be embodied. So uh, that's the relationship I would say it has to the body. In the intermediate state, it's, it's, it's naked, if you will, um, and it's definitely awaiting that resurrected body. Hmm. Uh, we'll, we'll probably do two more questions here. Uh, Nate G2, uh, my favorite musician on Instagram. Sorry, Braxton. Nate is just, just a little bit better than you. No offense. Uh, uh, he says, does my soul have a spirit or is my spirit a soul on a scale of one to 10? To be the most stupid, how stupid is my question? Don't say 11. <laughs> I would have to. <laughs> no, no, it's not an 11. It's a good question. It, it's, it's, it's a common question. Um, so... And, and I mean, what I love about this topic is that you can go in so many directions and there's just so much to touch on. Uh, but I, I like to do it this way sometimes. <clears throat> I'll say, 
if I ask you, if I were to ask Nate, how many bodies do you have? He would say, I have one body. And I would say, okay, Nate, how many hands do you have? He would say, I have two hands. And I would say, oh, so you have three bodies. And he would say, no, no, no. My two hands are part of my one body. And I say, oh, okay. So then, you know, so, so we all understand what it's like for there to be parts to a whole. In principle, again, you know, focusing on the principle, not necessarily the analogy. In principle, it's the same with the soul and spirit. The soul is the whole, the substance by which there are different aspects, faculties, and parts to it. So I have capacities. And when you group capacities that are similar, we, we put those into a group in a family. We call those a faculty. So like the, uh, I have the capacity to, to, to smell and the capacity to taste. Those, those are both types of sensation. So we types of capacities. Um, <clears throat> my spirit is a faculty or a capacity of my soul. And I, I would say that my spirit is that mechanism through which I communicate with God to give an illustration my tongue tastes food, not my fingers or my eyes. So it is my tongue is the mechanism by which my body uses to taste food. In the same sense, in principle, it is that soul. It's the mechanism that my soul uses. My spirit is a mechanism by which I communicate with God. Um, so you are a soul that has a spirit. You are a soul that has a mind. You are a soul that has different faculties and capacities and functions. Some are actualized, some are not actualized, some can be developed. Um, some can grow, uh, grow stronger, grow weaker, and so forth. Um, awesome. Uh, we'll do one more, one more serious question here, and we'll have a fun question for wrapping this up. Uh, Nick Quine, uh, here again, Chapter Sinners podcast. He says, uh, "Can the soul be killed, destroyed, removed from all existence?" Yeah, it sounds like you're breaking up there, but hopefully, on your end, it'll sound better. Um, but I, I can see it here. Can the soul be killed, destroyed, removed from all of existence? <coughs> um. We'll likely disagree on this, me and Nick. Uh, uh, um, but but no, I'm not an annihilationist, and I don't I don't. Well, can the soul? I, I'm assuming he means human soul. Uh, I don't think so. Now, does that mean all souls are immortal? What's funny is when I, when I first heard the the term conditional immortality, and for those that don't know, um, the annihilationist position, um, and Nick and and Chris Date can explain it far better than I do. Rethinking Hell, you know, go go check those guys' stuff out. Great stuff. Uh, uh, whether you agree with them or not, great stuff. That's really going to get you thinking, and they really dig into scripture, which I appreciate. Um, but um, on the annihilationist position, those that are not saved are annihilated. Uh, and if I'm oversimplifying this or not, I, I, you know, I, I want to tread lightly, if you will. Uh, but they cease to exist. Now. When I first heard the term conditional immortality, meaning your your immortality is conditioned on something, I thought to myself, well, right, I agree with that too, but I'm not an annihilationist. In other words, I don't think that souls by their very nature are immortal just because you're an immaterial just because something is an immaterial soul doesn't mean it's immortal. I think that dogs and animals and creatures like that, I think they have well, I would say I know they have souls, but I don't think they're necessarily inherently eternal. I think human beings are immortal only because our souls bear the image of God. And I think that because God has done that, he has chosen and will respect his image and anything that bears his image, that he will not annihilate it or snuff it out of existence. I think, I would argue, it would be immoral of God to, to annihilate uh, something that bears his image out of existence. Now, 
I'll also say this uh, as a caveat. Uh, I haven't I haven't looked too deeply into the annihilationist position. It's something that I would definitely love to do in the future and really, really dig into and tackle uh, because I, I personally think it has a lot to do with substance dualism. I think in some instances even hinges on substance dualism, um, perhaps even more than some people think. But long story short, no, I don't think that the soul can be destroyed, removed, or killed out of existence. Um at least not the human soul, because I think it would be immoral of God to do that. But do I think souls in general are immortal? No, I don't like something like an animal that has a soul. I don't think is immortal just because it is a soul. Oh, I hope you can hear me as we wrap things up here. It's been a great interview, Eric. Um, plug all your stuff. If you hopefully you can hear me, and if you can, just plug all your things. If people want to follow you, Eric Hernandez, how do they follow you? Um, you can go to um, Eric Hernandez TXB Ministries on Facebook. Um, somebody that would probably help us out the most would be on YouTube. You can either type my name in Eric Hernandez or youtube.com slash C slash Eric Hernandez. And you can, uh, uh, please subscribe, uh, share some of the videos, uh, uh, a lot of, a lot of great content, I think, uh, on there, uh, that would really, uh, that, that a lot of people I, I have heard have found helpful. Um, and I try to, uh, use videos like these too and put them on my channel as well. So other interviews I've done, uh, you'll see on there. And, and what I like is with, with interviews like this, um, even though a lot of times I'm talking about the soul, a lot of different questions or aspects or, or perspectives are brought up where I get to tackle a question or a certain objection or, or, or challenge in a different way. Uh, so I really did appreciate this too as well. So let, let me also say thank you for having me on. I appreciate the questions and the pushback and uh, it allowed me to elaborate in, in ways I perhaps have in an under interview. So I do appreciate that. But Definitely YouTube, um, type my name in Eric Hernandez, Facebook, uh, Twitter, I think it's EHM underscore apologetics. Um, I don't get on there as much as I, much as I can, but I, I tried to do that intentionally either way, but that's probably what I get on the least, but you can find me on there as well. Uh, Eric Hernandez ministries.com is the website that I've used that, that came far before that, that, that I've had for a long time. I haven't really kept up too much with that, but you can find some articles I've written in the past on there, like concerning free will and, and, and mind and brain and things like that. Hmm. Yeah, man, it's been fun having you on. Appreciate you, know, you doing this interview. Uh, shout out to Ethan Silva, Corn Chandler, Isaiah, Roxby, Nate, everyone who joined us today. Uh, it's been a lot of fun. I want to see you get on TikTok. Um, <laughs> in my transition because Adhere to Apologetics is now on TikTok. As long as you can follow us on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everything. We're on everything. You can find us everywhere. Um, be sure to follow us and subscribe as well. And uh, thank you to all our supporters who are making Adhere to Apologetics possible. We're about like a hundred and some dollars away from being fully funded, which is exciting. So you have a dollar or two. Be fun to do it. Um, Nate says, let's do part two and cover soul food next time. Um, so <laughs> we'll close on that, man. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks for your time, Eric. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. All right. God bless everyone. Have a good one.